Welcome. Welcome to the next part of our journey through Exodus. This walk we are going on together, not just on Sundays through preaches, but through our reading plan, through our devotions, through our life groups, through our households. What has happened so far? Well, we've encountered the people in slavery. We've, we've met Moses. Moses has met God. God has sent Moses to Pharaoh. We've had this battle between Moses and Pharaoh where Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. We've seen plague after plague after plague after plague. We've seen Pharaoh denying God's sovereignty and God giving Pharaoh over to the hardness of his heart. And now we come to the Passover, the final plague, plague number 10. And in these moments, the Exodus story bumps into our present. We are this week in Holy Week. Starts with the triumphal entry and Palm Sunday. We have Monday, Thursday, the pouring out of perfume, the washing of feet, the garden, the trial, the beatings, the cross, the darkness, death, the tomb, and the weight. This is Holy Week. And in the midst of Holy Week, we encounter the Passover, the Passover meal. John chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says this, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And verse 2 says, the evening meal or the Passover meal was in progress. This walk we're taking through Exodus bumps into our very present walk through life. And so we're going to ask four questions, or maybe three questions and an observation. We're going to ask, well, what was the Passover? We're going to ask, why did it matter to Israel? We're going to say, why does it matter to us? And then we're going to look at the tragedy of the Passover. Let me read you some verses from Exodus 11 and Exodus 12. You have been reading all of these passages over the last few days and you'll finish them in the next couple of days. This is Exodus chapter 11 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that he will let you go from here and when he does he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold. So Moses says, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And then skipping forward to Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 and 23, we read this. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on the, both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. 
When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. So what is the Passover? Well, it's at least three things. It's a plague, it's a practice, and it's a promise. It's a plague, it's a practice, and it's a promise. Firstly, it is a plague. Scripture records for us here in Exodus, and it's recorded elsewhere in the Psalms and some of the prophets, that there were ten plagues that God inflicted on the Egyptians to cause them to let his people go. We've looked at the first nine in previous weeks. And here we get to number ten, the death of the firstborn. The firstborn son of every family in Egypt and the firstborn of their cattle. It is, like the other plagues, a judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt. A statement of God's sovereignty and power. A way that God is going to set his people free. One of the ways he is going to draw his people out, that he can draw them into relationship. So at one level, it's just like the previous nine, with the same purpose and rationale. But it's also a very clear practice. There are clear practical guidelines given to the people of God about how they should observe the Passover in the moment and how they should celebrate the Passover in the future. It involves a lamb, a pure lamb. They are to select the best from their flock, a year old, chosen on a certain day and killed on a certain day. The blood of that lamb will be put on the doorframe, the uprights and the crossbar of their doors in every house. The flesh of the lamb, the meat of the lamb will be cooked and in a certain way it will be roasted. No bone will be broken. It's cooked in the way that it would be cooked later on for priests. Everybody in the household must eat the flesh of the lamb and stay under the blood of the lamb. They must stay in their homes. Everyone is included to the point that they work out how many lambs they need based on how many people there are. There are set ways to eat. There are set ways to dress. They are to dress ready for their journey. The meat should be accompanied by bread which is unleavened, made without yeast, made quickly, that they could also take with them and eat on the way. But all the meat must be consumed in the same night. The feast will establish a festival. That's where we get the name festival. The feast establishes a festival. From this moment on, they are told, this will be your practice. This plague will be remembered with a certain practice, the festival of unleavened bread. Every year they are to celebrate this moment, to remember this moment. So the Passover is a plague, but it's also a set practice, and both of those point to a promise. 
Now the Lord said to Moses, we read in Exodus 11 verse 1, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. This is the last plague. This is the plague that fulfills the promise. God promises Moses this one will work. Where the previous nine have built on one another and each time Pharaoh has changed his mind, he said, yes, go, and then changed his mind, revealed the fickleness of his heart. No, says God, this one. God promises this one will set you free. God promises that after this Passover night that people will be set free and what's more, they will be set free with blessing. You see, this promise, Passover promise, actually is the fulfilment of the promise that God made to Moses 12 or 18 months previously at the burning bush. Let me read to you from Exodus chapter 3, verse 20, 21. God says this to Moses in that moment of moments. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters and so you will plunder the Egyptians. What is the Passover? Well, it's a plague. It's an established practice and it's the fulfillment of a promise. Notice the language here in Exodus 3 matching the language in Exodus 11. I will do this, says God. It is the promise of God and one that he fulfills. So if that's what the Passover is, why did it matter? Why is the Passover so significant? Why is this tenth plague so important? So important that it establishes a festival and will be remembered in the future. Well, it is uniquely important in its historical effect. It works. The people are released from slavery after the Passover. So the primary importance is its success. They remembered it. They celebrated it because this was the moment. This was the night when they were set free. But it also has theological importance and significance. It is important in its theology, in what it reminds the people about God and what it reminds them about themselves. It reminds them that God is sovereign over their lives. With the previous nine plagues, Moses and Aaron play different parts in those plagues. But in this final plague in the Passover They are just bystanders. Once they have informed Pharaoh and the people about what will happen, they retreat to their households. They stand under the blood of the Lamb. It is God who operates. It is God who functions. Again, chapter 11, this is what the Lord says about midnight. I will go. 
This is not just God manipulating his creation. No, God will be there. God will lead the destroyer. God will lead judgment. There are no intermediaries in play. Why else is it important theologically? Well, it's important because it tells the Hebrews, tells the Israelites, reminds them that in this moment they're not protected by their heritage. They're not protected by their genes. It's not because of where they were born that they are protected. It's because of where they stand. They stand under the blood of the Lamb. If you were in the house and the blood of the Lamb was over the door, you were saved. But if you stepped out of that house, even if your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather had been a Hebrew and an Israelite, that would not save you. You were not saved by your heritage you were saved by the blood of the Lamb. It's important because God, Yahweh, is identifying in this moment Israel as his son, as his firstborn. Remember chapter 1 of Exodus. What does Pharaoh try and do? He tries to kill the sons. And here God is declaring again, these are my people. I have relationship with them. I am declaring them as my son, as my firstborn son, the first nation among the nations. And therefore I am going to protect them and I am going to take the firstborn sons of Egypt. And this festival you will find as you go through year after year. You will remember this because you will remember that I, have, I want relationship with you. God is declaring his commitment to his people. This is significant as well because God is reminding his people, I'm on the side of the oppressed. I'm on the side of those who are being judged by others, who are experiencing the injustice of others. God is reminding them, I am sovereign. God is reminding them, I am in control. God is reminding them, you are my sons and I delight in you. God is reminding them that they're not saved by heritage, but by his work. It is also important because it is creating an annual practice that reminds the people that they are always in need of rescue. Why does God command them to then have a festival? I mean, it's an amazing event and maybe just to remember it every now and again. But why does God say, no, you'll now have a festival every year. In fact, your year will now start with these days. He changes the calendar. He changes their diary. Why does he do that? Well, remember, the people of God were not saved because of their heritage. They were saved because they came under the blood of the Lamb. They came under what's called substitutionary atonement. Someone else died on their behalf. The lamb died on their behalf. The blood was spilled on their behalf. Why does God want them to remember that? Because he wants to remind them. He wants to, them to remember that in their hearts they're no different from the Egyptians. We know that because when Moses had power the hardness of his heart came out. He committed murder. And God is reminding them, look, yes, I have rescued you out of slavery. I've rescued you geographically. But that rescue is incomplete. You need to celebrate this every year. You need to remind yourself every year that you are dependent not on where you were born, but on the God who saves you. 
on the God who reconciles you, who, on the God who stands in the gap for you. Their rescue was not based on who they are, but on who God is. And God chooses to see the blood of the Lamb and not take their life. And God wants to remind them of that because this festival is meant to help them look back at what God has done but also look forward at what God will need to do. There will need to come a moment when actually their hearts are dealt with, when they are set free theologically, not just geographically. So that's why it mattered to them, but why does it matter to us today? Why are we spending time on this ancient practice? Is it just a bit of good history? Well, no. I mean, let's be honest. Reading Exodus chapters 11 and 12, reading the description of the Passover in isolation is a bit weird. This is strange. We might even find it offensive. The culling of thousands of animals, the smearing of blood on your front door, the death of innocent children and animals. It's macabre. It's weird. It makes no sense in and of itself. It only makes sense if we realize that it sits within a bigger story, what some would call a meta-narrative. In our introduction to Exodus a number of weeks ago, we reminded ourselves that as we walked through this book, we would see patterns of redemption. And that's what we are seeing here. It's like a thread in a tapestry, a certain colour that keeps appearing. It, it disappears behind the tapestry for a while and then it reappears. And the Passover lamb is one of those threads. I don't know if you've wondered about how Moses reacted to the command from God. God says to him, right, this is what you're to do. You're to get a pure lamb and you're to kill it and you're to take the blood and put it on the door. And Moses seems to go, okay. Now, we know Moses doesn't always go, okay. Moses is somebody who questions. Why is he so accepting of this command? Well, it's because he knows his history. When God speaks to Moses, what does he say? He says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses knows his history. And in Genesis 22, we read this. Abraham and his son Isaac are going to make a sacrifice. We read this, verse 6 of Genesis 22. As the two of them, that's Isaac and Abraham, went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram or a lamb caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Sound familiar? It should. See, Moses knew his history. Moses knew that one of the ways that God rescues is to provide a lamb. A lamb that is killed instead of a son. And here at the Exodus, we have a lamb being killed instead of a son. God is redeeming his firstborn son, the people of Israel, through the provision of a lamb. Moses could embrace the Passover because he knew chapter one of the lamb narrative, Abraham and Isaac. And Moses is enacting chapter two of the lamb narrative, the killing of the Passover lamb. And you see, that's why this is important to us. Because we stand today in the week that celebrates chapter 3 of the Lamb narrative. John 1, 35-36. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Matthew 26, verses 26 and 27. Jesus, at the Passover meal, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8 Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Chapter 3 of the Lamb narrative. Why does the Passover matter to us? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Exodus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Ram given to Abraham. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' blood was spilled on the posts that went up and the post that went across. Passover matters to us because Jesus is the one who rescues us from the oppression of our hearts and the power of our sin. Jesus, the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb, dies at Passover once for all, that his blood might cover all nations for all time. Whereas in Exodus, the blood covered one nation for one period of time. That's why it matters. Because we are this week remembering and celebrating 
chapter 3 of the Lamb narrative. We are recognizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and to Moses. And so we finish with this, the tragedy of the Passover. I mean, how amazing that first Passover night must have been. If you were a small child on that night, what must you have thought? Up in the middle of the night, dressed, just had dinner, bread in your hand, taken out and leaving 400 years of oppression and slavery. Your mother and father being showered with gifts by their neighbours. Literally 430 years of back pay for their slavery knowing that your lives have been spared. Wow! And yet the tragedy of that first Passover night is that it was so quickly forgotten. We read in 2 Kings, verse 23, the king, Josiah, gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. The writer of Two Kings, recording the life of King Josiah, reflects on a thousand years of history when the Passover was forgotten. What a tragedy! That the people of God did not remember and celebrate every year their glorious rescue, their glorious freedom, their need for another Passover lamb. They forgot and missed it and ended up following other gods and not seeking Yahweh and his forgiveness. What a tragedy. But before I slip into judgment of them, what about me? What about you? What about us? In this week of weeks, when we celebrate and remember the Passover lamb, do we remember? Are we thankful? Have we brought ourselves under the blood of the lamb? Are we reminded that we are only here by the grace of God, that we are a rescued people, that we have been brought out of sin to be drawn into relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords? Are we bringing our lives under God's sovereignty and God's power and God's love? Are we pursuing with our whole hearts relationship with God as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Maybe you've never done that. Well, why does it matter? Well, it matters now. It matters because of the freedom that we're offered. Jesus promises life in all its fullness. It matters what we do about Easter. It matters what we do about Christ's sacrifice. It matters now, but it also matters because there's another chapter in this lamb narrative. There's a final time when the thread is going to come through the tapestry. 
And we read about it in Revelation chapter 5 when we read this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is open, able to open the scroll and the seven seas. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes with the seven spirits. He, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them, all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. There is another chapter, friends, when we will worship the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb that is Jesus. That day will not be a day for decision. It will be a day for worship based on the decisions we make today. Friends, make a decision for the Lamb. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. In this week, when we recognize his life and his death, when we recognize he died to display the love of God for us, help us respond by bringing our lives under his blood, under his lordship, under his rule, that we might know glorious relationship with God now and that we might be one of that great crowd celebrating in chapter 4 when he returns. Amen.